chapter 4 this evening, John chapter 4. Last night we looked at uh, Nicodemus, and if we were to look at somebody that was completely different, that's what we're going to do tonight. Nicodemus found his identity in religion. Uh, he found, he sought his satisfaction in religion. He didn't find it, uh, but he sought it there. Uh, what we're going to look at today, tonight uh, sought her satisfaction in a completely different arena and didn't find it either. And you know, you may have heard the story of Acres of Diamonds. I believe it's a true story. A man called Al Haifad uh, lived by the Indus River and he was rich. He was rich in the sense that he had a beautiful wife and children. He had a lovely little farm with orchards and gardens and uh, rivers running through it. Uh, he had <clears throat> everything that he could want. He had cash uh, above and beyond his needs, and he was, he was doing okay. An old priest came to visit the house, and he told Al about diamonds. And he told Al that if he only had two or three diamonds, he could not have but one farm, but he could have two or three farms. And he told him that people were finding diamonds all over the place. And something began to gnaw on him. And in the end, he sold everything, left his wife and family behind, and went out to find his fortune. And as he traveled, he didn't find his fortune. He ended up broke, and standing by a beach, a wave took him out to sea, and he died. Meanwhile, on his farm, the person who bought the farm noticed something glistening in one of the rivers. And when he went in to look at it, he found it was a diamond. And it turned out to be one of the richest diamond mines in the world. It, 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 it became, I haven't got the name of it written now, but it became a, a fabulously wealthy diamond mine. Here's, this, here's this, the, the issue. Al had it all there under his nose. But he didn't recognize it. He went in search of something. Something that was going to satisfy. And you know that's in all of us. We're all looking for something that's going to satisfy and we very often go in the completely wrong direction looking for something that's going to satisfy. And tonight we're talking about someone who sought satisfaction in the wrong direction and the one and the only one that can bring satisfaction to our lives. So John chapter 4 tonight, and let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, would you bless us now tonight? Lord, we're, we're looking to you. Lord, we know that uh, human speaking, Lord, can't break through the barrier, Lord, that needs to be broken through for people to see the reality of their need of salvation. And Lord, we're not resting on that. We're not resting on my power. We're not resting on human flesh in any way. Lord, we're resting on you and upon your power. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you do the work that only you can do, Lord, in the hearts that are gathered here and in those that are online, Lord, that one that does not know you as Savior, Lord, would you bring conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment? Would you do the convincing as only you can? Lord, Lord we're at your mercy. We're in your hands tonight. Would you bless in Jesus' precious name? Amen. John chapter 4. 
And um, we're going to read from the beginning. We're going to read much of the chapter here tonight. Uh, What we'll do, though, is uh, most of you know the story. Let me give you briefly the story, and then we'll go through the story piece by piece, and I'll I'll speak to you of it. Um, Jesus comes to, uh, goes through Samaria, and he rests at a well because he's tired, and he's weary, and he's thirsty. And a woman comes along to the well, and Jesus asks her to give him to drink. And this woman, of course, is... Shocked, Jesus being a Jew, asking her for a drink. And so she says it to him. And Jesus says to her, listen, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you'd ask of me and I'd give you living water. And so he engages her. And finally he, he, he shows her that he is the Messiah. And she accepts it. Marvelously, wonderfully, she accepts it. The Jews wouldn't accept it. I mean, he, he, he spoke words in the temple, uh, lots of words, but, but they wouldn't accept it. And she goes and she tells the rest of the people in her town and they all come out to hear Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through that story and we're going to look at it, how Jesus took and brought this woman to the place where she could trust him and be born again. Because she comes to the well, a dissatisfied woman with everything lacking in her life, and she goes away with Jesus. She goes away with him in her heart. And everything is changed. And it's an encounter with Jesus. It's actually the longest recorded conversation that he has with an individual, apart from his, uh, his discourses with his disciples. But it's the longest recorded conversation, and he, he carefully takes her through it. And before he even begins, there, there, there are four walls between him and this woman. Invisible walls. There's a wall of religion. He's a Jew, as far as she's concerned. She's a Samaritan. Never the twain shall meet. There's no way you can get these two people together. They, they hate each other. Long hatred. They hate each other. There's, there's, a, there's a wall uh, of gender. She's a woman. He's a man. And he's considered to be a rabbi. A rabbi talking to a woman on her own at a well could ruin his reputation completely. He could destroy his reputation. There's a gender barrier. There's, there's a racial barrier. He's a Jew and, and she's a Samaritan. Uh, and there's, there's a moral barrier. This woman is not a nice woman. This woman is not in any sense godly. Uh, She has some religion about her. But the the reality is there's nothing godly about this woman. And Jesus is going to marvelously overcome all the barriers. Reach out to her in her need. In fact, what we see is he went by divine appointment. Appointed long before the world began. To meet with this woman and to draw her to himself. So let's dive into our scripture. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. And when it says that he had to go through Samaria, it's purposefully put there because the Jews, if they could avoid it, didn't go through Samaria. They, they avoided it. They regarded the, the um, Samaritans as half-breeds. They, they regarded them as a people who were kind of half-Jew, half-something else, and um, not a religion that they were interested in uh, being involved with at all. Uh, Samaria had been occupied when the Assyrians took over, and they had left some of the people in the land. They had brought in other people to settle the land. They had intermingled and married. They had developed a new religion. Uh, they had taken some of the books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, 
Uh, they had built themselves a temple in Mount Gerizim, and uh, they had set up a whole new religion that was really in opposition uh, to the faith of the Jews. And the Jews just hated them. They, they would avoid going near them if they could possibly do it. They would, they would skirt around uh, by Samaria. They would do anything. But the Bible tells us specifically that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He was going there regardless of the obstacles, regardless of anything that stood in the way. Now, why was he going there? Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He had a mission. He was on a mission from the day he was born uh, till the day he breathed his last on the cross, and he's been on that mission ever since then. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there was a woman that was lost. And he was coming to seek and to save her. And tonight, you may not feel you're lost. She didn't feel she was lost. She knew there was something lacking in her life. But she didn't know what it was. And Jesus came to seek and to save that woman. And do you know that Jesus comes to seek and to save you tonight if you don't know him? Do you know that he loves you so much that he's willing to actually sacrifice, go out of his way, uh, do objectionable thing, ob- to, to, to actually reach out to you so that you can come to him and be saved. Nothing happens by chance in this story. Jesus just happens to arrive at this well as the woman is coming to the well. It's not by chance. Do you know that nothing happens in our lives by chance? That there are those times when God intersects with us and God meets with us and we, we can miss it. I gave you my testimony on, uh, on Sunday evening. And one of the things that I look back now with, with horror is that I could have missed it. I could have missed it because I had obstacles in my own head and in my own heart. I remember reasoning through it, thinking, will I, won't I? If I do, it's going to do this. And uh, I remember going back and forth in my mind. And I'm, at this stage, I'm certain I could have gone to bed that night. I could have said no, gone to bed that night, and the next morning woke up and not remembered even having gone through that. I'm pretty sure I could have done that. And, and you know, when God comes into your life and God intersects with you and God, as it were, puts his finger on you and brings conviction in your life, you need to respond. And you don't wait. You don't wait until there's a more convenient season. Remember Felix uh, listened to Paul and he said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And he waited for a more convenient season that never came. You know, when God speaks to us about our souls, about salvation, we need to respond. We need to say, yes, Lord. We need to grab it. Who are we to think that the God of heaven should take time to come and visit with us, take time to come and actually bring conviction in our lives and we can say, well, maybe some other time. Isn't that audacity, arrogance in the, in, the, in the highest? So God's speaking to you during these meetings. You need to respond. You need to come to him. This woman doesn't know much. She's, she's not going to know a whole lot by the time uh, the story is over, but she knows this. He's the Messiah, and I'm a sinner, and I need him, and she runs to him. And really, that's what you need to know. That Jesus is a Savior, and you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you run to him. And when you run to him, he is a great Savior. You know, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I knew very little about the gospel. What I know about the gospel, 90% 90 of it has come after that. 
And you know, we don't need to know the whole Bible. We don't need to understand everything. We, we just need to run to Jesus. In simplicity like this uh, little woman did, right? <clears throat> and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, Jesus comes and he's weary. We have to remember about Jesus, by the way, that, you know, he is God, obviously. But he's 100% God, he's 100% man. He got tired. He got weary. He got thirsty. He got hungry, just like you and I do. And Jesus comes by divine appointment and he sits on the, at the well. He is tired. He is hungry. He is thirsty. He's been walking. It's the, the sixth hour is noon. Which means it's the middle of the day. It's the heat of the day. And he has been walking with his disciples all morning. It's a long walk from uh, where they're going to Galilee. And the the guys are going to go off and get food. And um, this woman of Samaria, uh, Samaria comes to get water. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And now it's the middle of the day. This is not the time when you normally go to get water. Normally you go to get water in the early morning, uh, maybe late in the evening. uh, But you would go in the cool of the day, not in the heat of the day. But this woman, we're going to see why. This woman is not a woman of good repute in her city. In fact, uh, she may have gotten on well with some of the men, but I don't think she got on very well with the women at all. I think she was regarded uh, as a woman of low morals. Uh, She was regarded as somebody that was uh, not not somebody you wanted to be around. So in the middle of the day, uh, she's come out uh, to get water, and Jesus meets her on his own at this well. Uh, So Jesus says to her, give me to drink. Verse 9, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which I am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now you say, how did she know he was a Jew? How do we know anybody's of the nationality they are? Do you ever sit in the airport and look at people and try and work out where they're from? Uh, Yeah, We have this ability. Uh, It may have been his clothing, it may have been his accent, but she knew instantly that he was a Jew. And he's sitting on the well and he asks, and she's shocked. Because the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. Absolutely. He said, she, so she says, how come you're asking me for a drink? I, <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So Jesus has engaged her now by asking her for a drink. And now he starts talking to her about something different, living water. Living water is a theme that runs in the scripture. And God is that living water. In, in, um, in John chapter 7, if we were to look there, at the end of that, Jesus, at the, in the last day of the feast, he says, says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That Jesus is the living water. And this woman is coming to the well to get water that's going to be gone very quickly. 
But Jesus is talking to her about something entirely different. Now, she doesn't get it at first. Like Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. So Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born again? Do you have to go back in your mother's womb again? This woman does the same thing. She takes what he is talking spiritual, and she applies it fleshly. Look what she says. Uh, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? So she, she, she takes and she applies it uh, in a physical way. I mean, you have nothing. Where are you going to give me something to drink? You don't have anything even to draw it out of. And the well is deep. And where are you going to give me this living water from? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Now he's actually approaching the woman's problem here. Her problem is that she's always looking for something that's going to satisfy her thirst. She's always looking for something that's going to make her feel good, that's going to make her feel better. She's, he, he's going to point out that she's had five husbands. Now, let me ask you, why would anybody have five husbands? Why, why would anybody have five wives? Oh, not, not at the same time, obviously. Some of them maybe died, but uh, some of them she probably divorced. Why would somebody go for it five times? I mean, if, if you got married for once and you got married the second time and it didn't work, wouldn't you say, well, listen, I'm not good at this. Uh, I think I'll give it up. By the way, the record for getting married is there's a man who got married 31 times. You've got to be having a laugh. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. You're really not good at this, buddy. By the way, uh, this man that got married 31 times, none of his wives came to his funeral and only one of his children. I think he had 48 children. He just wasn't good at it. He should have given it up. Now, this woman got married five times. Why do you think she got married five times? She was looking for love, wasn't she? She was looking for something that was going to satisfy her, something that was going to make her feel whole inside And people look for that in all kinds of ways. People look for that in money, don't they? I can make enough money. I have enough money in the bank. I can be satisfied. We'll talk talk about the rich young ruler on on Thursday night. He he thought money money could satisfy him. uh, People look for uh, satisfaction in in pleasure. There's not enough pleasure in the world to satisfy you. People, people look for satisfaction in drugs. I read a book, it was a fascinating book. The title of it was more fascinating than anything I read in the book, actually. Uh, it was in the realm of hungry ghosts. This man was talking about addiction. A secular book, talking about addiction. And what he said was that addicts are like hungry ghosts roaming around looking for something to satisfy, to fill the need, to fill the hole in their lives. And I thought, that's a brilliant term. But it's not just addicts. So many people are roaming around looking for something, anything that can satisfy, anything that can fill the hole, anything that can fill the need in their lives. I heard about a girl who um, <clears throat> started her life in the church and she was going to be good and holy and godly and so on. And, and that was what, what, what was her satisfaction. And then after a while she got fed up with that. And she left the church and she went out into the world and, and, and she decided that relationships were the way for her to be satisfied. And so she got involved in all these relationships with men and uh, got her heart broken several times. And so some of her friends came to her and said to her, listen, you can't, be, you, you, you can't be looking for men to satisfy you. What you need is a career. So she got herself a career. And she started to earn money and she started to do well. Uh, but then she was burning out. 
And so somebody else came and said to her, well, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to find your satisfaction uh, in, in um, helping people. And so she changed directions again. And she was going from one thing to the other to the other looking for satisfaction. Finally, she found it in Jesus. Finally, she came to the place where she actually found it in Jesus. Do you know the only place that you and I are ever going to find satisfaction is in Jesus? It's not out there apart from him. It's, it's not possible to find. You see, we, we live in a broken world. It's, it's broken by design because of the fall. See, when Adam and Eve sinned and plunged the world into darkness and sin, apart from the brokenness of the world, we'd never seek God. We'd manage by ourselves. And so that brokenness had to be brought in so that we could, we could actually see God. So everything is broken. Everything fails in the end. You know, I got my car washed on Saturday before I came up here. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be driving back and forth uh, in the car all week. I want it nice and clean. You know what, it was filthy by the time I got here. <clears throat> it, it, it rained on the way. And it doesn't, doesn't that bother you? You clean something and listen, before you've gotten home, it's dirty again. Uh, you, you, you dust the house. And as soon as you look around, the dust is back. You know, you fix something in the house in this area, and then something else breaks over here. You know, we live in a broken world. And we look for satisfaction in the brokenness of the world, and we're never going to find it. You know, even people, you know, listen, we, we have good relationships, and they're helpful, and they're blessed to us. But, you know, it always amazes me that we talk about the funeral at the wedding. Remember that? You know, uh, until death us do part. Even in that most sweetest, most blessed of days, when we're recognizing the fact that two people are coming together, we're recognizing it's going to be broken at some stage. Somebody's going to die somewhere at some point. Everything in this world fails us in the end. God has said it so because he's the only thing that can ultimately satisfy us. There's a longing in each one of us. C.S. Lewis says, the longing that in us that can't be satisfied is an indication that there must be a heaven. Because there's, we want things to be perfect. We want things to be right. And they never are. They never are completely. And it's an indication that there must be a heaven. There must be a better place. Something in me speaks of something different. And there is. There's a heaven where it will all be made right. But it's never going to be made right in this world. Except in Jesus. That's the only place that you and I are going to find satisfaction. You see, this poor woman... <clears throat> Had five husbands, but none of them could satisfy her. None of them, no, no, nothing made it right. Nothing worked it out for her. <clears throat> but let's go on in our story here. Right? <clears throat> uh, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus says, I'm going to give you something different than the world can give you. I'm going to give you something that's a well of water inside you springing up into eternal life. I'm going to give you something living. And if you're born again tonight, you know what I'm talking about. You may not live in that place all the time, but you know what? You know it's there because you've touched it from time to time. Maybe you're one of those that abides in the Lord Jesus Christ and listen, you know, you live the reality uh, of this living water that's, that's, that's welling up inside you. But that's what he wants for you. 
That's what he's planned for you. Uh, the woman saith unto him, Sir, giveth me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now she's interested. Now all of a sudden she's interested because, you know what, he's speaking to the need of her heart. Even though she doesn't get it all yet, he's speaking to the reality of her need. He's speaking to something that satisfies and her heart is saying, I want that. Is that what your heart wants? Is that what you long for? Do you long to be satisfied? Do you long to have something in your life that you can say is right and is true and is good and it works? And what happens is that when you have that, everything else in your life falls into place with it too. Oh yeah, everything doesn't go the way you want it. Everything is not perfect. Everything doesn't just 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 fall into place the way you'd like it. Our, our sister told a story tonight, uh, you know, of, of of how life doesn't happen the way you'd want it to happen. That's not the life she planned. But you know what she also told us that God is faithful, and that Jesus is real. And that even in the darkest moments, there was that well of water springing up inside her. That's what we need. That's what we're made for. That's the only thing that's going to satisfy us. And this woman recognizes she wants it. By the way, I do think this about her. She may have all kinds of problems and issues with her morality and everything else and her gender and her, you know, and, and her race and all the rest. But there's something in her simple way of accepting what Jesus says that really commends her. I think sometimes what we do is we analyze Jesus to death. We just analyze it and analyze him and, and listen. We just need to believe. We just need to trust him. He that cometh to God, the Bible says, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek. And what does that mean? That means he will do me good. Have you found that, by the way? He will do me good because, listen, he will do you good. When somebody comes to Jesus Christ, they're coming to a God who will do them good. It's not that he won't let hard things happen in your life, but even the hard things that he lets happen in your life, he uses to do you good. But he will do you good. And when we come to Christ, we come to the only place, the only one that can satisfy us. Um, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I think she had a moment here. I think she had a moment because he's fingering her sin now. And note this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't shame and condemn her. But he doesn't avoid her sin either. He's bringing up her sin. Because her sin has to be dealt with. You always have to deal with sin. You know, if you hide your sin, you're not going to prosper. That's what the Bible says. There's no way to just kind of gloss over it and say it didn't happen. I heard an expression recently. That, uh, it was in another context entirely. But the expression was this. You can't jump over your shadow. Right? And that's impossible. It's impossible to jump over your shadow. It looks like you could. And you can't get away with sin either. Sin is an issue for God. Sin is an issue for God that he dealt with in his son. But he says that you and I have to come to the place of repentance and trusting him for it to be dealt with. And there's no way for us to have our sin dealt with apart from coming to the place where we repent of it and trust in him. So although Jesus is going to finger her sin, he's not doing it because he's mean. He's doing it because he loves her and he knows it needs to be dealt with. 
And the only place she's going to find satisfaction in him is when she deals with her sin. Let me say this. When you come to the point of salvation, the Spirit of God will deal with your sin. And he's good at what he does. He knows exactly what your sin is. Jesus knew what this woman's sin was. And he's able to deal with your sin. And you know what? The best thing you can do is surrender, bow your head, face the reality of who you are and what you've done, and confess your sin to him, not to anybody else, to him. That's the best thing you can do. There's no way to get away without dealing with sin. Jesus is going to bring this woman's sin up. Um, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidst truly. And so she's, she's caught. That's, that's, that's the arrow. He points it out very clearly. Yeah, you've had five husbands. That, that had to mean some immorality in, 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 in the mix. But even if that didn't, you have a man now and he's not your husband. By the way, let me just say this. For all of us, the world today thinks that living together is okay. You know what? Jesus didn't. She said, he said, he's not your husband. Uh, Jesus didn't accept that. That, that. That'll never be right. The world can accept it. The church can often even just gloss over it. But the reality is it's not right. M- marriage is a covenant between two people. And before God, before witnesses and before God, where they say, listen, I'm committed to you for life. And people will tell you it's a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. No, it's not. It's a, it's a very important thing in somebody's eyes. Anything outside of that, God says, is wrong. It's very simple in God's eyes. Anything outside of that marriage relationship, anything of a physical relationship outside that relationship is, is wrong. And look, I, I understand nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to be politically incorrect. But you know what? God doesn't accept it. We need to understand that. And that's not somebody taking and pointing the finger. By the way, we don't need to shame people. Uh, The Holy Spirit will bring conviction of sin. That's a different thing than shaming them. But we need to stand on God's side of it and say what's right and what's wrong. And in a changing world, it gets more difficult all the time. But folks, we have to. We have to stand uh, in that place. So Jesus says to her... uh, um, you said, the man that you have now is not your husband, and that thou saidst truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. See what she does? She changes the conversation. She wants to divert it. She wants to get off this topic. And don't we do that when we're confronted with our sin? We want to get off the issue. We want to talk about something else. Let's, let's, let's change the topic of conversation here. <clears throat> but you know what? You can't avoid dealing with sin. God is a holy God. He is a thrice holy God. His love breaks down all the barriers. But he never gives up his holiness. And you can't relate to him unless you're holy. And he's the only one that can make you holy. You can't make yourself holy. He's the only one that can do it in your life. You see, when Jesus died on the cross to to reconcile the world to himself, he wasn't just saving us from hell. He was making us holy so that we could relate to him. It's an important issue with God. Uh, It's always going to be an important issue with God. This woman tries to change uh, the subject. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say, In Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, 
Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We talked last night about the new birth. You can't worship until the new birth. That's, it's not real worship until, until then. You have to worship him in spirit and in truth. There has to be the living spirit of the living God in you for you to worship him. That, that's the only way that you can worship him. And he's telling this woman. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. So the Samaritans are waiting on, uh, on the Messiah too. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know what? The whole world must have stopped when he said that. That's such a powerful statement. I that speak unto thee am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. Now she's got a choice to make at this point. Either she's going to say, that's ridiculous. Who do you think you are? You come here, you sit at a well, you haven't even got something to get your water with, and you want me to give you a drink of water, and um, you know, you're telling me you're the Messiah? She's got a choice to make. You know, when it comes to salvation, we all have a choice to make. We choose whether we're going to believe or not. God gives us evidence to believe. He gives us his word. He's just given this woman evidence. She's never met him before. He knows nothing about her. She knows nothing about him. And he's told her her life story. He's told her what's going on in her heart. She has evidence, but she can reject it. You know, the Jews are going to reject it wholesale. You know, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they're going to reject him wholesale. And it's not because they can't believe. It's because they decide not to believe. They decide not to trust. But you see this little woman? Watch what happens. Uh, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot. Now, water pot's a pretty important deal in that culture. You know, they, they weren't like us where, where we have uh, such affluence and so many things. They, they, they had few things. And a water pot was a pretty important thing. And she left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Do you know what she did? She believed. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. And she believed on him. Simply, on the evidence he gave her, she believed. She believed that he was the Messiah. She, she didn't have all the information that you and I have. She didn't know that Jesus was going to go to the cross with her sin. By the way, there's an interesting thought. As he looks at her and talks to her about her sin, he knows, I'm going to pay for that. I'm going to pay for your sin. He knows that. That's an, that's an interesting uh, angle to, uh, to look at this from. But she doesn't understand all that. She doesn't understand all that's going to happen. But she knows he's the Savior and she needs him. She knows that nothing in her life 
matches up to this. She doesn't understand the, the, the cross like we do. She doesn't understand that Jesus is going to take uh, all the sin of the world upon himself. She doesn't understand that he's going to die and be buried and rise again from the dead, proving that he had the power to do all he said he would do. She doesn't understand all that. She just believes. She believes she trusts in him. Now here's what I want to suggest to you. If you're not saved, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to trust in him. Trust in this Jesus. You say, I don't know everything about him. I don't understand all the Bible. You say, I've got all these questions. Listen, don't worry about your questions. If you will trust him, he will answer your questions. If you will trust him, he will illuminate the scripture. told you my story. The Bible was a dictionary before I got saved. And then I trusted Jesus Christ and it became like a personal love letter to me. I I couldn't believe how it had changed in a day. It hadn't changed. I had changed. The Spirit of God had come in. My spirit had been quickened and all of a sudden I could make sense of it. See, there's so many things spiritually you never make sense until you come to the place where you humble yourself, repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ. So many things that he will make clear to you after that. Don't put barriers in your own way. Don't let other people put barriers in your way either. Just run to Christ. You know, remember, remember the thief on the cross? The, the thief on the cross, and um, what does he have going for him? He's hanging on a cross, dying for his own sins. Jesus is hanging on a cross in the middle. Uh, he's dying for sins he didn't commit. And what does he say? He says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What did he do? He trusted in Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He trusted in Jesus. Don't worry about all the wrinkles and getting it all sorted out and knowing everything about it. You don't need to know everything about it. You need to know you're a sinner. And the Spirit of God does the work of showing us that we're sinners. And there's nobody in this room who either hasn't come to that place or needs to come to that place where they see their sin. Nobody. Nobody. Because none of us are sinless. <clears throat> and you need to know you're a sinner. And you need to turn from your sin to Jesus. This woman turned to him because nothing in her life made sense or satisfied her. But he was talking sense at last. And she turned to him and trusted him. And she was born again. She got saved. And you know what? You can do it too. So she goes down to her home. She invites all the men. Everybody comes running. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought she had that much credibility. But you know what? When she spoke, she spoke with such passion that people came to hear. Jesus stayed in that place for two days. And the whole village believed on Jesus. It was, it was amazing what happened. It was amazing how everything turned around. Everything changed just because of the testimony of this woman. And by the way, do you think that Jesus knew all that was going to happen when he went there? He must needs go through Samaria because there was a town that was ready to hear. Oh, he was preaching and teaching in Jerusalem. He was talking to the Jews and they weren't listening. But there was a people that would listen. And he went, and he spoke. And in the simplicity of their souls, they believed. 
They saw him and they believed. Now, let me summarize some things we learned from this wonderful story, right? And then we're done. No one is too sinful to be saved. Don't you and I sometimes look at people and we say, no, they'd never get saved. No one is too sinful to be saved. You don't know what's going on in people's hearts. You have no idea. No one is too sinful to be saved. No one is so lost that the Lord can't find them. What are the chances of this woman meeting with the Savior of the world at a well at noon in Sychar? What are, what are, the, what are the chances? They're, 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 they're zero. But you know what? God goes after people. Do you know that you're not here by accident tonight? You're not watching by accident tonight? That God is always drawing people to himself. And, and, and you can kind of, you know the way we kind of shrug things off? We say, no, no. No, don't shrug it off. Accept it. If God is speaking to you, if God, the Holy Spirit, is convincing you of sin and your need of salvation, listen, respond to him. Just respond. By the way, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change your life and make it all different. What you have to do is respond to him. He'll do the changing. He'll provide the power. He will do the changing. No one can be saved without facing his sinful past. You got to face it. You got to come to the place where you humble yourself and you recognize yourself as a sinner. I fought for so long because I was a good, good man. And I had all my reasons for why I was a good man. And it wasn't until the, the Holy Spirit just, just cracked that armor of self-righteousness that I saw, oh, I'm not so good at all, am I? I really do need this. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit just broke through, created that chink in the arm. You can't be saved without facing your sinful past. No one who faces their sinful past will be turned away by Jesus. I know there are theologies out there that, that, that say not everybody can be saved. I think that's absolutely abhorrent. Do you mean the Savior, the God of heaven that came from heaven to save mankind is going to say, nah, not interested in you. That's a lie. Listen, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will call, you'll be amazed that he will answer you. <clears throat> no one who meets Jesus will ever be the same again. I mean, it's just the reality. People go back and forward. They, they don't get it all right. They don't all go in straight lines. They don't grow all the same, uh, same speed. But no one that meets Jesus is ever the same again. He steps in and he changes you. But he always changes you for the better. It's always a better place to be. Jesus is ready to give us living water. It's free for the asking. Are we ready to receive it? Are you ready to receive this living water? I mean, that's all that we're waiting on here. Jesus isn't, doesn't need to do anything else. and You don't need to do anything else. You need to just bow your head and receive what it is he's done for you. Just right now. I have watched as I preached people get saved. You say, how do you know? You can just see something happen in somebody and you talk to them later on and you know they actually trusted Christ. Where you sit right now, you can trust Christ as your Savior. If you're in your home or somewhere else, you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
No confidence in you or your ability, but all the confidence in the world in him and his ability to save if you will just call out to him. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we pray, oh Lord, that you would just step into this room. We thank you for being in this room, but that, Lord, you would speak with that heart that needs to know you. And, oh Lord, that there would be that cry go up and that salvation, uh, the new birth would happen in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to sing our final.